with us. Give us understanding. Unveil the Word to us. Give us enlightenment, God. Give us the ability to understand correctly, Lord, what You're saying to the church. As Your Scripture says, to him that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So give us those ears, God. And Lord, help us to apply the Word. Not only to know it, but to apply it to our lives in this day. Help us to understand the relevance of the Word today. That we need it as much as they need it needed it back then we need it today guide us and lead us in this in christ jesus's name meet every need in the congregation and thereabouts in jesus name we pray amen Amen. the apostle speaking of forgiveness because he is not ignorant of the devil's devices the one thing that satan loves to use and speaking to that verse in which i'll only take a second is he likes to plant the seed of unforgiveness in the hearts of people because it's so important, and we talked about this one time before, if we don't forgive, then we won't receive forgiveness. That's a very important thing to remember when it comes to dealing with people, especially in a young Christian life. You have to forgive. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not a happy-go-lucky. It's a choice. The emotion of it comes later. It's a choice you make to forgive. I choose to forgive. And then God will deal with the rest of that as you go along. But Paul, the important part about that verse is Paul says, I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices. Anytime you start getting something thrown into your life that can pull you away from God, that is absolutely a tactic of the devil. So in speaking of the end times, talking about Matthew chapter 24 and deception, Paul was speaking of unforgiveness here. I want to talk a little bit about the tactics of the devil that the devil will use in these end times that we're in. Uh, So I felt led to talk about our greatest enemy in this life. There was a Chinese guy. And if you've been in management for very long, you've probably probably been made to read it. Or if you've been in any kind of leadership role in your life, you've probably been asked to read it. Uh, If you've ever been in politics, if you've ever been in sports, if you've ever been in any of those things for any length of time, you've probably been compelled to read at least some portion of it. And that is the art of war. Some 2,400 years ago, 2,400 years ago, a Chinese man named Sun Tzu wrote a book called The Art of War. It's used throughout our government. It's used, like I said, a lot in our society today. And the reason for it, uh, one good thing that it says in there, and this is what uh, uh, that he, he, he wrote in here, Sun Tzu wrote in this, one very popular saying that we say today is you have to know your enemy. Well, there's a lot more to that. That's a part of it. That comes from that man's writing. 2,400 years ago, he wrote that. He said this, if you know your enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself 
and you do not know your enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you don't know yourself and you don't know your enemy, you will succumb to every battle. That is used in military tactic training across the United States. When, when I played football, uh, and some of you in here did the same thing, I'm sure. You, when, when you, I spent hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of film time studying my opponent. When I say that, when you, when you watch these, uh, these games on TV, you see these two teams gather together and they go at it head to head. And it just like, looks like to, to the per- person that don't know the details behind this, there is a very big theology in football. And, and th- it just looks like a bunch of guys going head to head and clobbering each other and trying to tackle the guy that's got the football. When in all actuality, there's a lot of technique. There's a, it's a game of inches, they say. There's a lot of, of situational awareness, a lot of the, the coverages. The quarterback has to look to the defense and understand what to yell out to tell his teammates how to cover what, what, what's going to happen when, 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 when the defense, when he snaps the ball, who's going to blitz, who's not going to blitz, what the coverage is going to be, where guys are going to come from. And if the quarterback's got his mind in the game, he'll get that right and he won't get sacked all the time. Unlike what, what, what happened to the Bengals in this last game. I had to throw that in there. So if you get your coverages messed up, so I would go into, in my particular position, if I was playing defensive end, or if I was playing uh, a linebacker, or if I was running the ball, the fullback, I would go into film, and I, for hours and hours and hours, I would watch my opponent that I was going to be going against in the game, game that was getting ready to happen that week. I could tell you when he got down into a three-point stance, I could tell you if he put his hand, his right hand or left hand, a little higher than the other, he would probably be falling back into some kind of, uh, of pass protection. I could tell you if I was on the defense, if this hand was down or this shoulder was down or he was looking this way, which way he was going to block. That would tell me which hole to hit. I could tell you when the coverages was being called and this guy went into motion this way and this guy bent down like this or this guy put his hand down on the ground like this, I knew exactly what that guy was going to do. That's how the game of football is played. There's swim technique. There's rip technique. There's all kinds of things that you have to know that apply to that particular situation, that one particular play I have to know my enemy, my, my opponent. If I don't, then, then I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm totally reactionary. And he has the upper hand on me. Because he knows the play, I don't know the play. So my job is to decipher what he's going to do before he does it so I can create a disruption in the backfield and hopefully sack the quarterback or create a loss on the play. That's how football's played. Every single play of it. And I had a coach who I can't tell you how many of my teammates went on to play, uh, were were USA Today uh, Players of the Year, uh, went on to play for Michigan, Ohio State. A lot of them guys went to play pro pro ball. I played against some guys that played pro ball. And the coach that we had would go over every single play. After the game, when we got our, when we got our, our, our hind ends kicked pretty good. We'd go in on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and we replayed. Every game was videotaped. 
And we would sit there and the coach would go across every single person on that team and what you did every single play. Every single play. And you got a grade given to you. That grade was given to college scouts who were constantly at our place up there. So if Jay, every single play, whether I was on offense or defense, we stopped the film and looked at exactly what I was doing against the guy. Did I win? Did I lose? Did I let the team down? How did I react to that play? Did I use the proper technique? That's what the pros do. But see, this same theory, the art of war, works the same way spiritually. And the reason why so many people, uh, especially Christians, get victimized by the devil is they've never analyzed Satan's strategy. You just take it and you try to recover from it. Do you know in the course of this ministry that God has put me in, how many people I have seen stumble and fall because they were not ready for the opponent? Many of them. Preachers don't preach on the devil. They don't teach on what your enemy is trying to do to you. There is a whole other life when you get saved. It's a complete other ball game. It doesn't work like it does in the civilian, this carnal, fleshly world. Now you enter into the world of spiritual warfare in which none of us have been trained in up to that point. So preachers preach nice, fuzzy sermons, and then the people go out and they get defeated and victimized by the devil a lot. They fall back into the old life. They start getting tempted into things. and They don't understand what's happening and their mind is blown. Because they don't know anything about the strategy, the techniques, the schemes, the tactics of their enemy in their life. But we're going to learn a little bit about that tonight. Um, seriously, so many Christians are taken advantage of. And that's the reason why so many people fall victim to false prophets and false preachers and false teachers. They, you turn on the radio. I'm going to tell you the best thing about your radio is the off switch. Same thing on your television when it comes to things. K-love isn't the best thing out there because I'm telling you, for the, the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. If you're going to listen to K-love and you're young in your faith and you don't understand anything and you get somebody preaching some false doctrine, you're going to believe everything you, you hear because you're putting faith in that alleged Christian institution. But you don't know no better and now you're conflicted and you've, you, you don't have any idea about what you're thinking is, well, the pastor preached something different than that. Well, and then your mind enters into confusion. Do I speak in tongues or don't I? Is there a second work of grace or isn't there? This happens constantly. Then it creates doubt. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. I'm not saying that you can't listen to the radio. I'm saying be extremely careful because Satan is a tactician and he is masterful at it. I'm going to give him credit. Christ in me is stronger than him and Christ will not let anything or anyone or him pluck us out of his hand, but he sure can make your life miserable. And he can influence choices that you make by drawing you towards things. We're going to get a biblical look at that. It's very important that we understand who we're dealing with. So let's take a look at some of the strategies that Satan will use in the end times. 
And these are all biblical. And we're going to mostly be in the book of Genesis. Genesis 3.1 Satan will always try to dispute God's word with you. He will. This is one tactic, one scheme of the devil. In Genesis 3.1 Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan will always attempt to try to water down God's Word to you. Remember this, young ones, in the Lord. He will always do this. We see the tactic of Satan. Satan was at his best. If you will understand my speech. I'm not giving him. I'm not saying he's good. Let me tell you what. He knew he had the opportunity to cause all of humanity to fall from grace. To fall from God in this moment. So he was giving it his all. He was doing his best. He was doing everything that he knew would probably work. And he was looking at man's weaknesses. He will always try to water down God's word. Maybe you've heard God incorrectly. God will understand it's it's okay this one time. You can still hear the snake from the lake of fire say that in the ears of people to this day. As if God didn't mean what He said. I've seen this a lot. We open God's Word, or the preacher preaches against something from the Word of God, something that we really like to do, and it won't be any time that Satan will send one of his emissaries to water down the Word of God so you'll feel better about doing what God forbids. That's the way this works. Well... God God understands. It's worked since the beginning of time. When God said something to Eve, He meant it. And He didn't say it was okay for, for her, but not for everybody else. And He didn't care about what her situation was. He simply said, don't eat. But then the serpent says, did God really say that? Well, I heard another preacher say. You know how many times I've heard that? Well, that ain't what my preacher teaches. But it says it right in the Word of God. So Satan will always try to dispute with you God's Word to pull you from the will of God. Never forget that, young ones. Number two, Satan always denies the Word of God. In Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of knowledge of of good and evil, you shall not eat it. Listen, for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Did you hear that? Listen to this. Satan denies the Word of God. God told Eve that if you eat of this, you will die. You will surely die. Satan comes along and denies God's word. You will not surely die. Genesis 3 and 4. Read it. He disputes God's word with people. 
Whenever you have anyone or any thought that enters into your mind, Christians, listen to me, that goes against what God has commanded, you are dealing directly with the devil. Understand that. Your enemy wants to pull you from good graces in God. He wants to pull you away from God. He wants to get you to do things that denies the Word of God in your life. When Satan said you'll not surely die, he was openly and brazenly contradicting what God said. You've seen it. You read it. God said, for in the day that you eat thereof, you will die. Satan comes back and says, you're not going to die. What happened? Death ensued. Death ensued. And as a result, all of humanity afterwards inherited it. God keeps His Word. We cannot make God a liar by trying to expect something different to happen to us when God declares something, listen, just do it, just do it. Was that the Nike saying? Just do it. Okay? God, Satan will always try to deny God's Word. Number three, and I'm going kind of quick here. Satan will displace God's Word in your life. Genesis 3 and 5. You'll be like God. He says. Displacing the Word of God with them. If you look real close at this, Satan was putting into their minds the same disturbing thing that once was in his mind that same impulse that transformed him from the anointed cherub of God to the devil of hell. Do you understand that? He was giving her the same mindset because that's what Satan wanted to do. What did Satan say, uh, students of the Word? What did, he, what, what did he say? I will ascend. I will be what? Like God. So he took that same defiling thing that got him kicked out of heaven and and began to displace God's word in her life. The very same thing that got him kicked out of heaven and, 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 and entering into hell as his destiny. She bought into that. Look real close at this. When we try to take the purity and the truth out of the Word of God, we're displacing it. And when doing so, we always do it when it suits our purpose. Man, that's good preaching right there. I should have got an amen out of that. One, two, three. Yeah. When it suits your purpose, when it suits my purpose, it's very easy to leave the purity of the Word of God in our lives. Lying isn't so bad when I do it to save someone's reputation or do it to save someone's life. Lying isn't so bad. Addiction, it's just a disease, not a choice. Listen, that is the, that's the biggest bunch of junk I've ever heard. Does God send you to hell because you get cancer? That's a disease. Does God judge you when you get a cold? 
Does God judge you when you get COVID? No, but when you make a choice to do something that's against God's will, you're going to get judged just because you come addicted to it doesn't make it a disease. The choice was yours, folks. God doesn't, listen, it ain't a disease. It's a sinful disease. Yes, I'll agree. It's a spiritual disease. Yes, I'll agree with that. But that's a cop-out, man. Man, if we got judged because we got diseases, what kind of a God are we serving, Jess? What kind of a God are we serving because I've got sugar diabetes? Am I going to hell? That's crazy. Think about this. See how the devil has veiled our minds with this? You go to anywhere out there. When the world starts declaring things like that, that takes you, when, when the world starts declaring things, diseases that God will judge you for, that's the devil. Understand that. He is displacing God's word in society at a mass rate. That's why we have going on what's going on. If being an alcoholic was a disease or, or shooting heroin in, heroin in your vein was a disease, God wouldn't judge you for it. Church. But when the Scripture talks about a drunk man, when the Scripture talks about that person not entering into the gates of heaven, not being able to enter the heaven or enter heaven or anyone else who, who agrees with that kind of thing, God's announcing judgment on something that come from a choice. Just exactly like He did with Eve. You talked, if my brother Jeff was alive, he would tell you he was the biggest junkie in this area. I'm just going to say it. It's true. I love him. He's my brother. He's dead because of it. He would tell you it's his choice. The day that he did it, he told me, he said, I took some coke today. He was, what's the big deal about that stuff? I said, what did you do? I couldn't believe it. One of the most athletic men you've ever met in your life. I mean, who was, oh, wasn't he? Oh, working out all the time, cared about how his body functioned and everything. Uh, and then he's taking cocaine. Took this hit of cocaine. He chose to do it. Why? For the peer pressure that was involved, for the guys that he had chose to hang around with. He did it, and then he was done. Then comes judgment for things like that. She ain't going to go to hell if you contract COVID. Understand, that is a, a veil that Satan has thrown upon our society. It's a disease. No, that's a cop-out. Now we're providing it for them. So that they can continue on in their disease. We love to turn the right and wrong upside down. That's why the Bible says this end time crowd would call evil good and good evil because we displace what God says and even the church the alleged church I'm going to say this if a church is a true church if the church the gathering of the people is the true people of God if you're truly saved I just have a hard time believing that you'd support the doctrines that's out there today when homosexuals and lesbians are being ordained when transgenders are preaching gospel, I don't believe in my heart of hearts that a true Christian would allow such a thing. 
But when you displace God's word, you make room for that kind of thing. Oh, God didn't really. The J, it's for another culture, another time. That ain't for sophisticated me. I've got more degrees than a thermometer. I was summa cum laude, whatever. In my college, I know what I'm doing. No. It's a different game. You cannot displace God's Word. Good and evil. Evil and good. Number four. Satan discounts God's goodness. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Listen to this. We often miss this. This is another tactic of the devil. The Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Everybody say freely with me. One, two, three. Yeah. You may freely eat. How many trees was that? It was a lot. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. If you look at this correctly, Satan took this woman to see as if God was some vengeful God who was trying to take something great from her. But he had freely, in his abundance, in his grace, in his awesomeness, freely, they didn't have to do anything freely, he gave them every single thing that was there to eat from. But the one thing, that's grace, that's abundance, that's goodness, that's generosity. But he took that look from the woman and showed her the one thing. He discounts God's goodness. That's a tactic of the devil. Look at this. Everything was completely free to the man. Everything. But Satan made sure to lead them desiring the one thing forbidden to have. This you and I have inherited. You say, how, how so, Brother Jay? Much of your fallen nature has a desire to do the things that are against the Lord. You have your flesh, that nature of you, that we inherited because of this, will always, always want to go after the one thing. Let's put this into perspective. You walk into a grocery store. And if you've ever had a problem with alcohol or whatever before, everything in that store is available for you to eat. The one thing that God would forbid for you, especially if you've had a problem with it, is consuming that one thing. You can go in there and get everything you want to get. But you're upset. You had a hard time walking by it because the one thing you couldn't have. We inherit this. Whatever your one thing is, and there is for every single one of us a one thing, and there's multiple things that we would love to engage in, that we would love to do, that we're excited about doing it, but God has forbidden it. But it's that one thing. 
Don't you see all the other things that God has put before you that you can do, that you can enjoy, that you can live in, that you can have freely? Why is the one thing so hard? But look how Eve framed her response. The devil had her. A lot of people miss this. This is very interesting in what she said. She leaves out one word. She says in her response, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3. What word did she leave out? She said, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. She left out a very important word. Satan had her. She left out the word freely. Freely meaning God in His grace, in His generosity, in His wonderful provisions has said freely, without cost, without limit. I can have of everything here her response to the devil was, why would I want that one thing when I got everything? Why would I want that one thing when I've got access freely to everything? Praise God. There's so much in the world. Don't you just love the Word of God? I love the Word of God. I love it. I love to read the Word of God. And God says, see that right there? Look at that. Look at this. He discounts God's goodness. He didn't want to show her the abundance of God and the goodness of God and the grace of God by giving her freely. Man, he didn't come in and go, wow, Eve, look at this beautiful garden. Look at all these beautiful trees of, and their elegance and their magnitude. And look at all the fruit and how delicious everything here looks. No, no, no. Satan won't do that in your life. He will only take you to the thing that will take your life. He won't ever lead you to the things that will make your life more abundant, more good, more in favor of the Lord. He's never going to do that. He's never going to show you all that you have. He'll only show you the things that you don't have so you will lust for what you don't have. If we could fall in love with the things that we have, and be content with such things, then maybe we won't lust for the things we don't have. I have a $5,000 Paul Reed Smith guitar and I got a probably a $10,000 Gibson Les Paul Custom. But I would love to have a Strat. I would love to have a Marshall Full Stack. I would love to have me a pedal board that I could play on. Yeah, I, I'm not joking. I have those things. Had them for years. If you could want what you have, you won't lust for what you don't have. But Satan will never take you to the things that you have to say, wow, look how God has blessed you. You have land, you have a home, you have a house, you have a car, you have a job, you have food. He will always discount God's goodness. That is a tactic and scheme of the devil. By the time he got done with her, 
In just this one meeting, he had run her through the ringer, twisted her all around, jacked her up, and got her kicked out of God's grace. And if you're not careful, he will do the same thing to you. It is tactics in these end times. Listen, I want to just go through these things once again. And just by heading. Number one, Satan will always try to dispute God's word with you. He disputed with her. Satan will always deny God's word. Oh, now listen, that pastor's crazy. It's okay for you to engage in this when God has clearly condemned it. Satan will always displace God's word in your life. Satan will always try to try to take and displace God's word and, and, and replace it in your life and, and try to make excuses for things in your life. Satan will always discount God's goodness. He did every single one of those to Eve. And I'm telling you, he is up to the same thing right now. His greatest tactics that worked in the beginning is the same tactics that he's using in the end. Because let me tell you, in my opinion, the stakes are higher now. The end is coming. Satan knows his end is near. Satan knows we are ending, we are coming to the end of the church age and the time of the Gentiles are being fulfilled. Our era of receiving the gospel. Jesus, God knows, Satan knows that that supper table is getting full where every Christian that will ever be a Christian and every person that will ever hear the word of God that will respond to it. There's fewer and fewer seats every day that goes by. And when that day is done, and when that time is full, the end will come. And we're seeing all the signs, and we're walking through Matthew 24. So I'm telling you, be ready for these spiritual tactics of the devil. Oh, he'll always dispute the Word of God with you. If we violate that, and we fall from fellowship, Listen, I don't want to be that person in the day that we're living in. I want to see people come to this altar and get saved. It is why I live. This is why I live. I have a lot of hobbies. I have a lot of passions in my life. I've done a lot of things. I love to play the guitar. I love my heritage. I play ball. I've played ball my whole life. I've got a lot of hobbies, a lot of passions. Tammy goes, you got way too many hobbies. This is what I live for. I live. I live to see a soul step from the pew and come to Jesus Christ. I live for that. That is my life. You can have all the other stuff. This is why I live. I take this extremely seriously because I know that this is life and death to all of us. It's life and death. Eternal life and death. Stand with me.